welcome to episode two of Tall Poppy. This is the second in a series on human-centered leadership where I speak with Gail Hardy. I'm your host, Tathra Street. Gail's someone I've known for a long time, though not well. I've stayed in touch with her and admired her work at the Global Leadership Foundation. She's unafraid to use unconventional approaches well before they're widely accepted. The Global Leadership Foundation is about creating emotionally healthy leaders, starting with oneself. We talked about what this means and how it relates to various intelligences and the increased acceptance of multiple intelligences. As science has now demonstrated, things like the measurability of emotions as a tangible force. The conversation came back to the idea that if there is to be change around me, it starts with me as well as the role that stepping out of our comfort zone plays in leadership. Okay, I'd like to welcome Gail Hardy to the podcast. Hi, Gail. Hi, Catherine. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. So, um, Gail is a uh, founder of the Global Leadership Foundation. Gail, can you tell us a little bit about what your organization does? Sure. We... um we were set up in 2003, um, when I say we were set up, my business partner Malcolm Lazenby and I um, saw real potential in supporting leaders to see, I guess, a, a new way of looking at the world, um, really looking at themselves and their own development first and understanding the impact that they had on others and the world around them. And coming from that perspective, um, so back to then, it was unusual to be focused in on that side of leadership. However, these days, um, it's known as vertical development. Um, so we have the horizontal development that most of us um, have experienced as, as competencies and skills-based um, way of engaging. And what we tend to focus on is understanding what drives and motivates us what uh, impact that has on others and how we can lead through better understanding who we are um, and thus understanding others. That's a nutshell version. We do a lot more than that, but that's that's the nutshell. Excellent. So can you say a little bit more about how leadership fits into the work that you do? Yeah, sure. um, In a sense, it's everything we do. I think both of us have come from um, the corporate environment as well as both of us also coming from the public sector and we've had the experience of being managed um, during those times that I guess when we ask ourselves, remember the times when we were led, um, there's something about that either being amazing or distressing and uh, it's quite fascinating to look at leadership and in the context of business uh, and leadership in the context of government and what it really means to lead. So for us, it's about truly exploring what it means to lead and engage and impact on others. So leadership forms the basis of all the work we do. Brilliant. So can you tell me a little bit about, um, from your own perspective, what your biggest accomplishment as a leader has been? realizing that I had, um, I guess I have the capability to inspire and engage and inform and care for and uh, achieve with others. 
um, I probably as I come to this part of my life, so it's, I've been a long time in business, one of the things that, that I reflect and recall was how other people saw that in me long before I saw it. Oh, yeah. So it, it was recognised I received a Community Leadership Award, um, a women's, Business Women's Community Leadership Award, and I was just really surprised. Uh, I, I thought I was doing my job. Um, what I realised was that as I read the testimonials and as I read the uh, document that was presented, um, people saw me in lights that I just didn't see myself in. So I think my biggest learning was my own uh, aha around I have something to offer and what I what I sort of took for granted isn't necessarily what everybody has. Um, I was very fortunate to be encouraged all my life to be the best that I could be, not to compete, um, but to be who I was. So I think that stands me or stood me in good stead for then supporting others to be the best that they could be. So I think it was when I finally realised that I had um, talents <laughs> that other people could see in me that I didn't. Wow, great. Thank you. So let's talk about human-centered leadership. What does that mean to you? Mm-hmm. I, um, I expressed concern in some ways that um, with you in a former conversation that we have to move to the word human to remind people what leadership is all about. So I'm inspired by the concept of, of leadership the fact that we need to put human centered in front of it um, is it's with compassion and with concern. However, if that's what it takes to remind people about um, the way that we go about um, leading, then so be it. So for me, it's a focus on um, getting the best out of others, of being true to your own way forward. Um, and for me, that. That means um, for the greater good, I, I don't see my own way forward as an individual um, autocratic way of, of engaging. I see it as a, a way of um, inspiring and engaging others to be the best that they can be. So for me, human-centred leadership focuses very much on building emotional health in people. That That is really encouraging them to uh, make very conscious um, choices and very mind, and take on mindful practices in order to better understand um, and care for themselves and others. Can you tell me a little bit about how? Um, I know that that's that's a, you know some of the work that you guys do at the Global Leadership Foundation. How has that been received? Because I, I I imagine that. <laughs> You know, I mean, emotional intelligence is something that's been on the scene for a little while, but I think there's a lot of resistance to it, a lot of fear about emotions and dealing with them. And it's much easier to think of controlling them than actually, you know, being mindful of what's going on for us emotionally. So can you say a bit about about that? Um, I guess that's not so much our experience anymore. Um, For for me, 10 years ago, that that uh, the whole concept of emotional intelligence, when you would ask people in the room what they knew about emotional intelligence, you might see one or two hands. Um, what happens now is that it's a word that's used frequently and constantly. Um, for us, um, emotional intelligence is one facet of um, what we would call emotional health. So emotional health is that 
enhanced um, sense of well-being. Um, so it in, incorporates other intelligence, body intelligence, heart intelligence, um, uh, certainly head intelligence, spiritual intelligence. And we've, I guess maybe it's the clients that we work with, but we've found much more willingness and openness um, to understand that the whole person, the whole leader needs to be present, not just a part of a leader. Um, and the gift, of course, with things like emotional intelligence is that you can actually learn it. And I think that's the other thing that um, has surprised people is that oh, we've had leaders say, oh, no, well, I'm just not empathic. Well, we're all empathic. It's just in our lives we've either found it um, helpful to be empathic or we've learnt that being empathic may not get us what we wanted. So... Um, for us, I think now that there is more an acceptance around the intelligences um, and some beautiful work being done on measuring gut intelligence and heart intelligence through mm. neuroscience right now, mm. which which I, my sense is that now we've got science supporting what we've known for a long time, yeah. um, there's more of a willingness to be open to that. So, um, I, you know, there'll be some clients that will choose not to work with us um, and we'll choose sometimes not to offer our services to some clients simply because they're not ready and, and for us, we, um, we would rather them be in a place where they can find what they need rather than say, well, we're the, you know, we're the only thing that you, you really do need. We, we know that um, it's a world of abundance. We know that um, there's, for us there's no competition. Mm. The right people come along and um, we're finding that more people are much more open to mm. wanting to develop their whole self. Oh, that's music to my ears. I um, refer to it often as integrated intelligence as a way yep. to bring them bring it yep. all together. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, yep. and it's great to hear that it's um, there's more receptivity to it as well. Yes, and I, I, that's the exciting part is that um, thank goodness that clients have started to um, find ways of measuring all of this for the, the skeptics to know that there is actually an electromagnetic field around your heart. Yeah. And it can be shown it's, it's wonderful because finally people get that you just, you know, connection is more than just that first glance and knowing that there's some good feeling. It, it, it's actually a, a, it's, it's a force, it's a measurable force. Yeah, it's great. Um, you're, you kind of mentioned this a bit, but I'm going to ask um, anyways. What, um, how might we increase the level of human-centered leadership in the world? There's something for me about working on yourself first um, and I think if we reflect on some of the wonderful quotes over the ages, there is something about for things to change first I must change. So for me, um, it's about understanding what it means to be an emotionally healthy leader, to be focused on um, others in a way that enables them to be all that they can be and to sit with, um, without judgment, to sit with compassion, to sit with deep, deep caring um, around uh, the world. It, it's hard some days when you sit and look at some of the leaders that we're experiencing um, through media to even imagine that um, human-centred leadership is even part of their thinking. Um, so for me, it's about focusing on how we 
deal with different situations, how we manage ourselves and um, in spaces and how we can stay in simple language above that line, mm-hmm. taking taking high levels of personal responsibility and being accountable for the way that we um, we lead. I like what you say about high level personal responsibility. Can you say a bit more about what that means to you? Yeah, it's um, it's really, really easy to blame a whole lot of things <laughs> for the way the world is, um, for who I am, for where I live, um, for the job I have. You know, we can, if we're not aware, we can start to find many, many ways of excusing um, our, our ways of engaging and behaving. And so for us, taking personal responsibility is, is to be very clear that um, I am where I am uh, and understand the impact of that. So um, how do I lead by example so that others um, can follow? How do I ensure that um, the world is a place that um, I can leave for others in, and know that they'll thrive and survive? Um, so that for me, taking personal responsibility is... Um, is truly leading by example. I, I can remember, in fact, I still hold these principles dear. Um, uh, one of the organisations I worked with had a set of basic principles and it, they were just so simple um, but very profound and one of them was you know, truly about leading by example and maintaining constructive relationships. They, they weren't complex and they just guide me right now and, and always have their, um, it, it, it's like, well, if I can improve myself, then everything around me improves. Well, that's um, a nice segue into the next question. If you could tell us about a specific experience where you feel you changed yourself to improve your own leadership. Yeah, I, um, I thought about this one a lot, actually. There's uh, a situation that I found myself in where um, I... It would have been very easy to fall back into um, a previous career that I had. I was a, um, in my early years, um, I was a preschool advisor, which meant that I was responsible for a whole lot of childcare centres and preschools across Victoria, um, working with shire councils, parent committees. Um, it, it was a fantastic opportunity, and I had that opportunity one more time. Um, on the other side of Victoria. And at the same time, I knew that my work was with adults rather than children. And I um, approached a company and uh, said, asked if I could just have any job. <laughs> it was it was interesting for me because there was always this pressure to, um, you know, in a sense, be the best that I could be. And, of course, I was trained in, in all of this um, great early childhood work. But I'd also got a number of, uh, extra qualifications over the years and really wanted to move into um, the world of, of adults. And so I took a job literally at Salador. This was a, a wine company um, simply because I just knew that if I didn't step out of that comfort zone, I would never realise another way forward. So um, as it turned out, um, I was again offered another preschool advisor's job, and at the same time, the wine company recognised um, how 
passionate I was about people and offered me a role, a very senior role in terms of helping the family take their hands off the business and grow and, and build the organisation to what it is today. So for me, that it was stepping out of the comfort zone, mm. stepping out of what I knew, stepping out of everything that I'd been trained in, knowing that I had skills and capabilities in other fields, but without taking that first step, it, I would still be probably preschool advising. <laughs> And that, that was in the 80s, so I was in my mid-30s at that stage, and um, it, it was a big challenge. It was a big step because everything I'd been trained to do was um, was questioned. Mm. So for me, it, it was that, I love that word comfort zone because it, it just described, it was very easy to be complacent, very easy to, to know, do what you'd always done. Um, and yet uh, I just knew that I could do something differently in this organisation and I was very fortunate that they recognised that. Mm, fantastic. Thank you. Mm. So last question, what would you say to the listeners about becoming a human-centred leader or increasing human-centred leadership in the world? It would be very easy right now, I reckon, to think that it's too hard. If you look at what's happening, if we just take, for instance, you know, the, the politics of the United States, the politics of, of any of the Middle Eastern environments, the politics of Australia, it doesn't seem to matter. It, it would be very easy to bunker down, um, very easy to say, look, you know, I'm just going to look after me, I'm going to look after my family, just going to keep things the way they are because who knows what's going to happen. And for me, that tells tells me very much about, it tells me a lot about um, the below the line comfort zone behaviour. So if I can just deny that things are happening or if I can defend my current position, um, blame everybody else for the world, um, then, you know, it, it's easy to just be who I am. I guess for me, human-centred leadership is about, it's about stepping up above that line. It's about truly enabling What stood out for me in this conversation was that Gail leads by example, being true to herself and what she knows is effective in supporting leaders to develop themselves even before the scientific evidence has validated it. She brings her own experience of stepping out of your comfort zone to her work, enabling her to be mindful and compassionate of those that she works with in their own vertical development. In the next episode, we talk with change agent Simon Terry for the third in the Human-Centered Leadership series. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this, share the love via social media, like it, write a review, and we welcome feedback. So you can drop us a line at poppy at tathrastreet.com. And of course, you can get more information at tathrastreet.com. That's T-A-T-H-R-A-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com. 
You can find information and resources for changing the face of leadership. You can sign up and get the latest to be notified about new episodes, information about pre-sales for my book, and other events. So join us for Tall Poppy as we highlight new voices of leadership, one conversation at a time.